I'm very proud of the fact that we haven't really changed how we do think. You know, it's still, it's the boys that I grew up with, like we've been friends since we were 12, and they're still the same people I'm doing this with. First ever tour manager, still tour managing us. First ever, like it feels like a family. I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that we've just stuck to our guns the whole time and been able to, because we have that core kind of family around us, we're allowed to, lucky enough to make music that we just like. I think a lot of people are kind of pushed to do something or to work with a certain person. And I'm proud of that we've just kind of done it on our own terms. But it's a lot of, a lot of luck. <laughs> I gotta say it. Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity, and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to singer, songwriter, and producer Dave Bailey. Dave is the lead singer and producer of Glass Animals, who were in the middle of a US tour when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. They packed their stuff into a van, returned to London, and have adapted quickly to the lockdown, keeping themselves and their fans entertained through a bunch of creative projects, including a series of covers, film nights, and an open source website that allows fans to use elements of Glass Animals' work to spark their own creations. Recorded via FaceTime from Dave's studio, we talk about how creativity is helping him cope with the pandemic, his roots as a producer, and how collaboration has inspired him to be more personal with the band's new material. I saw that post where you'd said, or someone from the band had said, that it's crazy to think three weeks ago you were on tour in the US. I just wanted to like revisit that moment. Oh, yeah. What it's, was that like? It's mad to think about. We were in the middle of this tour. We were doing this like underplay tour back to our roots. Like the first tour we ever did of America was like us crammed into the back of a little Toyota Camry with like all of our gear on our on our laps, just driving ourselves around like seven hours a day, venue to venue. And after Joe, our drummer, had his accident, we thought like it would be a good way to kind of... I think when you have an accident like that, you lose a lot of confidence in things that you expect from your body daily. You expect to be able to talk, you expect to be able to walk, you expect to be able to run, and he expected to be able to like... He, you take those things for granted. So that all got taken away, and he obviously lost confidence in all of that, including his drumming a bit. So we thought it would be a really nice way to like wean him back on, back into the live scene by redoing that first tour we ever did. Right. So we get, went back and played these like tiny little venues, playing like ki- like we played a kid's garage on that tour and like a house party in Kansas. And so we went back, we did all that, um, and then we got about halfway through, and coronavirus hit, and we just I remember like looking at prices of. Air, like getting a flight back and just every hour it was going up like a hundred hundred quid hundred quid hundred quid every hour and we we're just like we got to get out of here they're, they're like banning flights they're banning every gig is like illegal now because no gatherings over 150 people are allowed so we just put everything out of our trailer into the middle of the road put that on another truck sent that over to a warehouse and we got the next flight out right what was it yeah. that made you 
kind of realized that it was serious because I guess there was that big sort of period of kind of gray area where people were still playing shows and some people were saying it was going to be more serious some people were saying it wasn't yeah I've I always had it in the back basically I like I did a lot of science when I was a kid <laughs> and I actually did it like a part of a I got halfway through a medical degree yeah before I started doing this music thing and so a couple of my friends are doctors they were like this is going to be bad like in January they were like this is this is going to spread this is going to be huge and you have to have a an escape plan um and i guess when we got to california we played an la show and then we went drove up to san francisco and got there and they basically banned all the gatherings over 200 people we were like this is it we've got to go um and seeing them like some i think when donald trump made his announcement about banning all international travel in and out except for from england <laughs> yeah so it was, it was like it was pretty lucky uh, it was a close shave and then we just yeah as soon as he said that we were out yeah and it was a real it was a real shame like i was loving that tour it was so fun so f- i loved it yeah. and it would have been amazing to finish it how many dates had you done then at that point we we did maybe like two-thirds of them so i think we'd done 18 or something okay. like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Sad. Sad not to finish it off. And so I guess even at that point when you returned to the UK, it wasn't as serious as it is now in terms of quarantine and lockdown and stuff. So did you come straight back home or what was it like that first part when you came back to to the UK? Uh, well, I wanted to be careful personally, just because I've been on, we'd been on like flights and traveling around, meeting loads of people. Those venues are like so cramped. So you like you're around so many people and then going to parties afterwards and stuff like th- there's a good chance I had it. So I didn't want to like go see my mum or anything. Yeah. So I, I would see my friends. So I, I just quarantined myself away in my house, in my studio, which I'd kind of been doing anyway, working on, <laughs> working on music before that tour. So it was just back to that really. We all quarantined ourselves yeah. for, for a couple of weeks. And at that point, at the beginning of that quarantine period, I think the UK was still a bit behind the rest of the world in terms of their reaction. And then by the end of that two weeks, it was lockdown. Yeah. So it feels like you've adapted like super quickly to the situation. I wondered how you feel like you were equipped to do that so quickly. I, was, I guess we've adapted in terms of like put a lot of stuff out i just started making covers in here i was lucky enough to be like quarantined in here yeah like i've i live my bedroom's there above me and so i i like don't even have to put on trousers to come make music i can just wake up in the middle of the night 4am in my pants and come down and, and make some stuff and it's kind of what i do anyway so i was just immediately able to make stuff and make music and back to that that routine yeah it's quite natural you made a comment about obviously with the equipment being a lot of it being in America, you're slightly more limited to what you have to work with. Yeah, yeah. We, as, as I said, we dumped everything into the into this truck and kind of left it in a warehouse in the states, so it's still over there. But I got a few things shipped. I got my my like my favorite guitar shipped back, which took took a while. It took a couple of weeks. So I've got a guitar now that works. That's great. But otherwise, I was just stuck with what was let, what we didn't take on tour. Yeah. So I have I have like got this Mellotron that I love, this old teenage engineering OP1, and a really old vintage Beatles bass, and this Roland drum machine from the 70s. 
I don't know if you can see it over there. Yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> they're like, but they're great bits of kit. And I, you know, what was really refreshing was actually making music with that, with like limitations. Because I find nowadays it's so, it's such a, anything's possible. Like there's such a blank canvas that it's like, it's a black hole of a canvas. There's no easy place to start. There's no like rules. And Brian Eno had this thing where he, he made those cards. You ever seen them cards? That are like r- rule cards that you meant to like pull a card at the beginning of your studio session. And yeah. it says like, today only use one string on a guitar or something. And it gives you a limitation. And having that limitation actually makes it, it's quite freeing. Otherwise you get stuck because it's just like anything's, anything's possible yeah. with modern technology. So I've, yeah, I've actually quite liked going back to these like old analog bits of kit that are really dysfunctional and really, they have their own quirks and are really yeah. limited. Like I can't, I can't make trap hats <laughs> with this thing. So it's, it's, and I've found a new love for all those sounds. It's only got a kick drum sound, a bongo sound, a tambourine sound, and a clave sound. That's my drums. Perfect. So once, once you got sort of settled into quarantine and kind of locked down hit, what sort of like challenges did you start to realize that you were faced with personally and as a band? Personally, I guess it was just dealing with like isolation and not really being able to go out. I like going out. I love seeing live music. That was all gone. But at the same time, when I make music, when I make when I was making the, like the last couple of albums, I do that anyway. I end up never seeing anybody and just like stuck in my house eating cereal all day, every day. And that's it. It's not washing, it's smelling. I, I guess making stuff kind of keeps you sane. I don't know, some people shout at their friend when they're frustrated or sh- shout at their mum or something or shout at someone. And I'm lucky enough to be able to make some music to like get, this is like a good vent for frustration. So it was all right for me. As In terms of the band, I guess like our main worries were being able to take care of our crew and our family because we had a huge tour lined up and all of the crew and their families and stuff, like our live sound guy, our technicians and everything, they all kind of depended on that. And we have to, we have, I think we've now worked out a way to like keep paying them through this time. And it's something we ne- we've been really lucky not to have to think about too much. You know, yeah. we've been lucky on the live music front. There's always been a, you know, we started really small and then we've added people as it's grown but it's never really dipped and we've never had to, I don't know, like fire anyone or tell people we can't, we can't afford to pay them or something like that. And it, it kind of hit that point. But I think we've worked out a way to like keep the people that have been really close to us from the beginning really comfortable. Um, and sadly, it does mean we're going to have to, like on the next tour, you know, we'll, we won't have a big stage set up and stuff like that. Right. But that's the trade-off and it's a, like it's a worthwhile trade-off. I think live shows are going to change soon. You know, these huge, 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 super, super expensive pop shows with like custom sets and stuff. I don't know if that's going to be possible anymore. I mean, you you talked about creating, keeping you sane and stuff. And from from like the outside, from our perspective, it looks like you've, you know, you obviously have been super productive through this time and created a lot of stuff. I wondered if there's ever been days though where it's just been a struggle and you've just had to sort of relax and not do anything or not put too much pressure on. 
I think that's been important too. I have a bit of a tendency to like go into this hyper mode where I just lock myself in this room um, and don't think about the outside world. And that's, that's definitely a bit unhealthy. So I've been trying to stop at a certain time. I've been trying to like do a nine to nine to five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like wake up, get dressed, wash, <laughs> uh, do stuff that normal people do and kind of treat it almost like a job. And it's the first time I've ever done that. Right. But I thought it, it's probably a good way to structure it and to like find a way to cut a line in between working and yeah, still keeping a bit of a social life, like, you know, speaking to people like you, like this, on FaceTime and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you find yourself listening to a lot of other people's music and stuff while you're in quarantine, or are you just focused on creating? I've been listening to a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've been... Um, because I was... Before the tour, we were... Well, we, I was locked away quite a while, just making stuff writing 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 and i f when i'm writing stuff i tend not to listen to anything else right and so i feel like i've been playing catch up in this quarantine period i'll right. do some like some writing until five o'clock and then i'll just go listen to records that i missed and there's a lot of good stuff that i missed i missed like the caribou record that's a sensational record it's incredible i found out i listened to arlo parks like discovered her i've been t telling people and friends to, like send me new stuff they've been listening to and also loads of people loads of like people have gotten in touch people that i didn't expect to because i think everyone's at home right yeah and wanting to do something maybe they've run out of weed and are, like now able to focus but loads of people have gotten in touch and like want to collaborate and things like that some of them i've never heard of before some of them i love um so i'm discovering a lot of a lot of new music that i really love there's this girl called grace ives right that i've been listening to she's amazing She's really, really good. And band called Chinatown Slalom. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, sometimes I'm reaching out to these people, like us and me and Chinatown have been talking. We might do something. Yeah. Right. It's a bit of a blank landscape. Just yeah, see yeah, what happens. Yeah. And there's, it feels like there's no pressure as well. It's like Two Inch Punch. Have you seen Have you seen what he's doing? He's doing this like Pass the Beat project. Right. He's an amazing producer, he's done some amazing stuff and he's just been sending like little snippets of beats to people and getting them to put something on it. It's like that, what's it called, uh, Consequences? You ever done that? Where you fold the paper and you like draw a right, thing yeah, and yeah, then yeah. someone dr extends the animal and then draws, someone draws yeah. the next bit and you end up with some monster. He's been doing the musical version of that. Okay. So I've been doing a bit of that with him. I don't know, just having fun. And it, it, through that you end up discovering new people. He was telling me about this bad kind of like sad... What are they called? Sad? Ah, I can't find it now. I don't know. But everyone, everyone's sending me new, new shit. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the collaborative process changed for you in this time? Or would you, would you always be kind of working alone and then sending stuff out? I really like being in the room with people. Yeah. In terms of... I just think it's so much easier to, like, to talk and to, for people to be honest. You can, like, read people's faces and have a proper talk about music but at the same time people seem to be more open to everything <laughs> and also you know it's quite hard sometimes to like to get into a room with people when you're on tour and they're on tour and they're everyone's busy basically yeah and all of a sudden everyone's just at home and you seem to be able to yeah you can get people on the phone like 
like this. As I yeah. said, just people are happy to talk for an hour about music. It's really, it's really lovely. So is that how you've been kind of doing it with people you're collaborating with, getting on FaceTime with them, kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone's just like sending numbers <laughs> over over DM, um, yeah. and then they'll just ring me up or I'll ring them up and we'll talk about music for a bit and it's a bit sad because you can't actually like you know sit down at the keyboard and play something and be like do you like that and read their face but you can still have that kind of pre-game chat where you talk about what you like you find out what you have in common yeah and go from there but it's still all kind of like custom made for the person and not just like you making sort of beat packs and then sending them yeah i've done a little bit of beat pack stuff but for the most part this has been yeah me working with people for that's the thing is no one really knows what what for yeah people i've been quite happy with just releasing stuff just making these covers and just putting them straight out and i think a lot of people have taken to that mentality there's no like goal it's not working for like towards a specific project it's just uh making music for the fun of it yeah because I don't know, they're bored. <laughs> yeah. Being bored is important. Right. Basically. It kind of opens your mind up. The pressure's sort of off because no one really knows what's going to happen. Like the landscape of releasing a record has changed, touring has changed, all this stuff. So um, everyone's just like, let's try some shit. I guess because there's that uncertainty. So it's like you can't even really plan a release at the moment because you don't know what's going to happen at all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's... That's what I'm doing with Arlo at the moment. We're working on something and we're going to try and, like, as soon as it's done, we've just been like, should we just release it as soon as it's done? Uh, yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so that'll probably drop, I don't know, a few days. Yeah. But I think it's also important that people are putting out music because as a music fan, it's good to have new stuff to, to listen to all the time. And I think some people have obviously been postponing things and wanting to hold their music and it's understandable. But at the same time, I think getting new stuff and people being brave enough to share what they've been working on, I think is, is a really important thing in this time. I think so. I think just people didn't really know what, everyone was a bit shell-shocked for a minute. Yeah. Because what I didn't realise, was so, someone told me, my manager was telling me yesterday, that streaming numbers just like plummeted. Yeah. I had no idea. I, I assumed it would be the opposite. I thought everyone was going to be like at home listening to new stuff like I was, but apparently it wasn't like that. So I think labels obviously knew that and were a bit like let's not release anything for a bit but now yeah no one no one knows what the heck's gonna happen yeah so put stuff out yeah i think the streaming numbers thing is interesting because from looking into it a little bit i believe that's more sort of casual listeners who aren't on their commute and things like that whereas people who are like music fans and who are a bit more plugged in if you've got sort of like a cult fan base and stuff then they're looking for stuff to listen to that's a good point i didn't really i guess i didn't really think that far into it but that is probably bang on isn't it it's the commuters yeah. not listening to the Hopefully. uh <laughs> hot hits playlist or something yeah yeah, yeah. so the co- the covers obviously we've mentioned them a couple of times but where did where did that idea of doing these quarantine covers come from what was the first one you sort of the first one you sat down to do was nirvana right yeah yeah, it was Nirvana. I basically found myself at, when I was stuck in here for, for the first week or whatever, listening to a lot of new stuff, as I said, and then a lot of like 
stuff that really made me feel comfortable, like stuff that I grew up with that really, I don't know, nostalgic stuff that made me feel at home. And that for me is Nirvana, it's Bill Withers. I did a Lana Del Rey cover. I grew up with that stuff, with her stuff. I think she's incredible. Uh, and I've been listening to a lot of hit. I grew up in Texas, in America. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of hip hop around. There's like a rap station. So I've been listening to a lot of like that, like Dr. Dre productions, basically. Yeah. Missy Elliott. Just, yeah, going back to stuff that makes me feel comfy for some reason. Everyone's looking for a bit of comfort, right? What made you want to kind of go from like listening to it and getting that nostalgia to like actually sort of reinterpreting it? I think it was just being a bit, <laughs> not really knowing where to start. I quite often get into my studio and don't really know where to start. And I mean, that's a really easy place to start. The song's already written for you. Yeah. So, so you can just do it. And that, that seemed like a really obvious place to just get, you know, wean myself from tour back into making music again. And started with, I've, for some reason, the first thing that I put on when I was back, I went on a run and just put Nirvana on and listened to that. I did that and I run every day and I just put Nirvana in every day. And I started hearing this like piano version of Heart Shaped Box. So I just sat down and did it. The whole thing took like maybe an hour. And I was like, oh, this is such an easy way to do something. The song's already there chords are already there vocal lines are already there lyrics are already there go boom and then can turn them out in an hour it's fun and then after that you were doing like fan suggestions right yeah just taking requests because I figured I don't know people probably want to hear some of their favourite songs so I did I did a couple I someone recommended the Lana one and it's just kind of where my taste lines up with someone else's I'll yeah. just like scroll through the comments and be like I love that song do it Someone requested Bill Withers because he passed away. Really sadly, he's like properly one of my heroes. So I tried my hand at that. And then a couple more coming. Right. A couple more in the works. But I'm, I think I'm overcomplicating it now. I'm like overthinking. I need to go back to the roots and just like do that thing where I just sit down and do it and give myself an hour and do it. Now I'm like, I don't know. I just tried to do one where I was making like a full drum beat and doing trap hats by like hitting this like bottle of slime with a pen <laughs> I've got loads of toys in my st I find they're good for like distracting you right. having toys and you just, if you're like too focused you kind of lose I don't know you lose the big picture and I tend to have the best ideas when I'm really I'm distracted by someone else I've got all sorts of I've got like remote control cars and shit and stuff to mess about with yeah so with the covers, because that's what I was going to ask you, how do you decide how far to go with it? Like, how do you, like you say, not overdo it? How do you choose what sort of stays kind of the same as the original song and what bits you change? I guess I was limited, and I still am limited to the equipment that we talked about earlier, that the like basic stuff that's left in here. But I've sort of rinsed all of that. And right. I was looking for new ways, so I was, <laughs> I was getting a bit carried away with the, the slime and stuff. But I need to, I think I need to go back to just like doing it on this Mellotron, this drum machine, and that bass guitar, which was the, that was the original idea. It was the three bits of equipment that I had, that and a vocal mic. I think I'm going to return to that. Those limitations are so important, I think. Yeah. And then obviously today you've actually released them on 
streaming services when did you decide sort of to take it i guess to the next level of them because i guess originally they were kind of instagram content and just stuff for people to watch now now you can actually add them to playlists and stream them yeah i it started as just that was what it was going to be i was going to do them on instagram live but then every literally everybody was doing yeah. instagram live like i was just like logging into instagram and there's like that person's lap like everybody was live at the same time it's like this is such a head fuck like let's just put it on the actual feed and people can just watch it whenever they have a second if they want to and then people seemed to like it and i got a call from from the label they were like can we put this on spotify (laughs) yeah all right can you do some artwork for it i was like yeah all right i just had a polaroid camera here right i just like boom took the picture put some graphics on it in photoshop and that's it it's just like it's quite diy yeah the whole thing and then I guess the next step of what you've put out today is this open source website. When did you come up with the idea for that? Yeah, that was again like going back to when I came back to the studio and was struggling to find, I find getting a starting point is super tricky. Yeah, The canvas is so open with modern technology. You can do anything. There's so many music programs. They all do incredible things that were totally impossible 10 years ago there's a plug-in for everything there's no like I, I spend a lot of time looking for raw materials like something that inspires the rest of the recording the rest of the song or the rest of the art if I'm doing the artwork for that song the rest of that piece of artwork like I've got this like stack of magazines at the back I don't know if you can see behind my shoulder there yeah um, it's just like a bunch of zines. I find zines, like, I go into, like, the bunch of, like, DIY art shops around, um, and I just go and pick up the zines that are made by, like, amateur artists, um, and you just flip through, and it's all, like, really haphazard art. But sometimes you see, like, a little nugget, and that'll inspire, like, the artwork for, you, you know, you're like, oh, I love the way they've done that font. Right. Um, you can kind of pull from that, adjust it, reappropriate it, like transform it into something totally different. Quite often you just like, I do this with samples a lot. Like I find a sample or a song that I really like and I'll sample it and then I'll make such a silly, disgusting monster out of it. I'll just take the sample out at the end and then you have something that's completely different. But it's, it's finding those little like nuggets that give you that, that bite point yeah when you're making something and that's what the open source site is about it's like all of the rawest little bits from all of our songs all of our artwork everything the code for the websites if people are into coding and don't know where to start or need an idea or want to steal like a certain function on the website we've done some like weird video games and stuff you can steal some of that code and put that into a video game there's like the latest art was made in this 3d cinema program that they use to like make all the 3d graphics and movies and stuff and i just scan my you can scan your head with your phone right <laughs> so i scanned my head with my phone and scanned a bunch of shit from around my house that i liked and then just threw it into this program and so all of those 3d scans are like you can download them you can animate it so my head explodes so it, my head turns to jelly and you like melt it it's just like all the raw stuff all the stems from songs drum sounds things like that i end up running around my house doing things like hitting that slime 
I mean, that's a shit sound, really. But I don't know. Maybe there's another sound. That, like, trying to find a sound that'll, like, make it... This, uh, this is kind of fucking disgusting, actually. It's not It's not making any appealing sound. It just makes fart noises, squelch noises. But sometimes you're, like, fucking around. You find a sound that's cool and interesting and unique and you can... Uh, it just starts the process off. So yeah. this is all of those things that could maybe, like start that process for someone else I don't know as I yeah. said making stuff is kind of keeping me sane a bit so if this makes it slightly easier for someone else to find a starting point to make something that is, that's the dream that's the yeah. goal obviously in a time when artists are generally so worried about copyright and stuff was that a concern at all giving all that stuff away or was that a concern maybe for the label and a discussion They're you probably, to have I bet they're sh- yeah, shitting bricks right now <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think so. They've been incredibly helpful in in doing it and allowing us to put the artwork stuff up there and all the like layered Photoshop file. Like, technically, they own that stuff because they paid for it. I guess I don't know. I don't know how it works. And they've been really generous. I guess the idea is use that as a, as a jumping off point, and people sample stuff. That's cool. If you if you keep something from one of the if you keep a, like the, a vocal chop from one of the one of our songs in, chances are we will let you have it. The label might say otherwise. I don't yeah. care. But you can take it out and replace it with your own. Like just use it as a as like a tool, and then get rid of it. Yeah. I saw that you've been having like weekly movie nights too. Yeah. When, yeah, we have been. When did you start those, and who chooses the films? I've been choosing the movie. I love movies. I really. I took a bit of time when I, our drummer got injured. I had a bit of spare time on our hands. He was like, "Go to LA." It's going to take me a few months to recover. So I went to LA and I just did some random stuff. I love movies and I love cartoons and TV. So I I went there and I like did some of that stuff. I did some like theme songs for cartoons and like random stuff like that and it just comes from my my love of that world i quite often like when i was making the second album i would i had a projector up and it was just playing these weird documentaries and i would just like sit and like play along i'd do my own like soundtrack so i just yeah i'm just obsessed i love movies (laughs) so we did that um we've done like what did we do okja do you know that movie yeah yeah, that was the last one that's by the same people who did parasite right um, and then uh, we did Spirited Away yeah. but that got hacked actually the Netflix party got hacked and it was freaking weird just started showing everybody those Julian Assange WikiLeaks videos of right. like the army dropping bombs on people it was really dark so we're not using that Netflix party app anymore we're just putting it a movie poster up and saying we're starting at 8 that's about it yeah 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 <laughs> And the mailing list too. You've been doing some interesting stuff with. Oh yeah, we've been, <laughs> there's three other boys in the band, and we just send letters to each other. Quite ridiculous. I just I just wrote mine for Joe. It got heavily censored by the label. They've just sent it back. Actually, and re- <laughs> they said take all the stuff about dicks out. So I've got I've got to take all the bit about dicks out. It wasn't that bad. We basically, right. basically we were in San Francisco. It was talking about like the first tour we ever did and going to San Francisco and not not being able to play that show this tour because it got cancelled. But the first time we were there, this guy came up to us and he was like, hey, babies. And we were like, oh, hey. 
um, and he was like getting really close and following following right behind us, and he kept trying to like shout it. Drew, our guitarist, and he was like, "Come over here, baby," and Drew um, turned around and realized that this guy had a big. <laughs> like a massive boner poking out and he wasn't wearing any trousers it was just poking out from under his t-shirt yeah I was just talking about that in the email they didn't like it <laughs> what sparked that idea of, of sending letters to each other via the mailing list I don't know I think it was Ed our bass player we kind of take turns writing to the mailing list mailers anyway and Ed our bass player just for some reason got inspired to write a letter to Drew as right. part of the as the mailer um it was clever and then it just started this like vicious cycle of us sending each other more and more ridiculous letters it feels like all of this stuff though adds to this really engaged fan base that you have and scrolling through the instagram posts and twitter and stuff how like you know bummed out fans were when the shows got cancelled and how people are like commenting on the mailing list and all that kind of thing at what point did you start to kind of like build this kind of engagement with the fans we've always been quite like because we started pretty rough and ready this whole project you know we've always been talking to our fans at shows and stuff like our first shows there were like we, we played one show in Leeds, I think, or Liverpool. It was Liverpool, and there were two people there, and one of them was one of my friends. Like, right. <laughs> it started bad. So we've always been quite close with the people who came to those first shows. Um, and when we did that first American tour, you know, the people who were there, like, we remember them because there was no one else there. It was... <laughs> It was really awkward and it was funny and we'd like go out with them afterwards and laugh about it afterwards. And I don't know, we've always been quite just, yeah, speaking to those people. So those people who were with us and they are sweet. They help us out a lot. A lot of the people who run the fan accounts, like, no, like when our Netflix party got hacked, this girl called Amber who runs one of the fan accounts was like, oh, my, my dad is an internet security person. I'm just going to ask him what's happened. And they've like he did some research and found out, helped us out, and like told us what had gone on. You obviously care about the fans in the way that you're doing this open source stuff. So, how important do you think that is for a band to sort of stay connected to those people? I think it's important. I mean, the main thing it's it's not about like being connected to your fan base. That's like a, quite a. <laughs> I yeah. think that's probably how the label would say it. It's more. Just, I don't know. I think it's just staying grounded and recognizing that you're really 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 lucky to be doing what you're doing and the people who got you there you should uh be nice to <laughs> yeah yeah and ultimately these people have just become our friends a lot of them we end up meeting them like meeting them loads and it's just nice they're just good people yeah yeah that's it I just keep good people close that's all <laughs> If you could go back to the end of last year and know that you'd be locked down from March, was there anything you would have done differently with the start of 2020? Ooh. Yeah, probably quite a lot. We, <laughs> I think in a very like cynical, we're going to be okay, but in a very cynical like financial way, like that, there was one festival at the end of that little tour that we were gonna uh, that we were gonna play. 
that was going to pay for the whole of that little tour and we it got cancelled right and so like it was tough it was tough financially I, I, I'm not saying like we're in a unique position some people are going to have it so much worse and we luckily could swallow that that bullet but it would have obviously made things a lot more comfortable for the rest of the band for the crew that I was talking about to have done that <laughs> found another way to pay them all really well um, and trying to think about what else I don't know creatively we kind of started launching our album um, there's a new there's a new project coming I think anyone can see that if, you know we've been releasing songs we've been we had this tour lined up I don't know I would have probably either put it out at the beginning of the year or uh, <laughs> or not started the release right because i like i like to see albums as like they're like a universe they're a world and it extends into like a live show it extends into the artwork it extends into the website everything that's that's the album and the music it all comes from the music the music is the the focal point and if it it's a bit disjointed right now maybe right. <laughs> but we're we've got i think yeah we just had to like recoup and we're going to kind of re relaunch the whole thing soon because mm. obviously last year you had the two singles that sort of i guess start off that kind of world what was it about you know launching with tokyo drifting it was quite a quite a change i'd say or quite a different pace what was it about that yeah. that made you want to sort of get started? Well, Tokyo Drifting's that's the totally that's a totally different thing. Oh, that's, that's like, totally separate. Not even right. part of the album. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was just like fun with Denzel. Um, it's that's kind of part of this series. We've done a series of things called Fresh Fruit, right? And they're all like collaborations that are probably a bit too different to right. fit on an album. Um, so there's like a uh, there's one with Taishi. Do you know her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one with Joey Badass. There's, one with, there's just a couple of these things lying around. And then Tokyo Drifting was kind of following on from that. Doesn't really have anything to do with for okay. the next the next project. Right. It's, just, it's a bit of a one off. It was a bit of a like. Let's see if people still want to l- listen to our music. Right. <laughs> What was it that got you working with Denzel Curry then? Um, I've been nagging him for ages. Right. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. I, uh, I just nagged him over the internet for quite a long time. And then um, eventually one of my friends was on tour with him. Got that friend to play him this beat. And he was like, oh, is he, what's this? And he was like, this is Glass Animals. I think they want you to do something on it. And then he hit back straight away. Um, and we just spoke briefly and then he just, he's, he's fast. He's so good. He's super pro. We kind of, we come from a similar, I don't know, a lot, a lot of the same things growing up in terms of late nineties, early two thousands cartoons and movies and that kind of stuff. And you can kind of hear it in his lyrics. We just had a lot of the same, like, References. references yeah did you record that one were you in the room with him or did he send the verse over 
He sent that over. Yeah, we right. were uh, we were in China okay. um, on tour, and he just he he's a busy dude. We lined up for the music video, which was wicked. He just happened to be in New York for one day, <laughs> and right. I was in New York for that day. And we we're like, oh my, let's do the video now. And we did it, but we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of shows. We're gonna do these shows at Red Rocks together. Um, I don't know if you know that that venue is the best venue in the world. Right, where's that? It's in Colorado, weirdly, okay. but it's like up a mountain. Right. And it's so high up this mountain that like you can't breathe properly. Like the oxygen is a problem. So you have to like, you have to breathe like twice as much when you're singing and rapping. And so if Denzel's rapping, it's, it's really hard. It's a proper workout. Right. Because um, I forget how many thousand feet it is. A couple thousand, like a few thousand feet. But it's gorgeous. It's incredible. And the, like the view is nuts. Um, sounds incredible. It's it's like this. It's up a mountain face. So you just walk out on the on the stage, and you're at the bottom of the mountain, and then everyone else is up the top. It's just this wall, this wall of humans. So walking out there is incredible. We're gonna do these two shows there to like that was gonna be the launch of our album. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's gonna be able to happen now. Okay. So I guess the question I asked before should have been directed at your love so what was that what was it about that that made you want to launch with it i kind of get to a point making an album where i'm a bit numb to everything like i i i it's like choosing your favorite child or something to go out first choosing your first child i don't know it's, it's a hard analogy to make basically i think i'm probably the worst person to choose a first single right so i normally say like it should probably be this one, this one, or this one. I have no perspective left okay. on this anymore. Because quite often my heart leans towards the one that's like the freshest, the newest. Yeah. Because it's fresh to me. But to everyone else, everything's new. So I, I usually just get like managers and the label to give as much input as they can. And I just say, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. So they, they actually chose that one. I like, I think it, got a kind of bumpy beat cool flute riff cool vo- it's i like that one a lot but i've heard it so many times <laughs> yeah it's hard to yeah it's hard to know and i um there's there's some oh there's some songs i'm really excited about just like that one also kind of leans back a little bit towards what we'd done before right i think i think that's probably why they wanted to go with it first because it's a little bit more familiar some of the new stuff is weird some of it's cr- I don't know how to explain it. It's diff- It's really different, right. and I'm excited. I'm excited for people to hear it. Basically, yeah. there are definitely songs that would have been more like a kind of "Whoa, that is, what is that?" Right. to come back with. Yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think we've been away for a while, and they were like, "Let's put something familiar out, relatively familiar sounding out." I noticed on those two, and I might be reading into this way too much, but I noticed on those two songs. The genre is listed as pop rather than alternative, and I wondered if that was something intentional. Whether that was sort of to is do it? The... Oh, I don't. You did, that wasn't know. something that was. Yeah, okay. I just didn't know oh. if that was something that you'd kind of like considered, and whether that was t- to do with the direction. No, I haven't thought about that. To be honest, I think um, I think genre is a little bit. Does anyone care yeah. anymore? That's why. That's why I, some, I kind of think pop is kind of the best genre in a way because it doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah, 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not into the genre thing, and I know that f it's still useful for, like, the purposes of playlisting yeah. and stuff like that. But I don't know. I see some playlists, and you're like, what? That music doesn't even hold together. None of none of this is rock. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Listening yeah. to, like, an indie rock playlist. You're like, this is what... Like the internet, the band the internet is on there, and like uh, then there's like a Steve Lacey track and a, a Vampire Weekend track. You know, I kind of get that, but like it's just it's everything, and yeah, the genres are all blurred, and yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. amazing about music right now. <laughs> I wondered outside of Glass Animals project if it's important for you to have your own kind of other outlets because you've obviously been doing other production under your own name yeah i've been dipping my toe in and it's a it's a crazy world that i try to just do stuff that feels quite natural rather than like go to la and get sessions yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a culture of that you know people go out to la and just do session session just session session like two sessions a day and i think that can be quite demoralizing and weird I, I, I like working with people that I like and people that I know and people that I'm friends with and something we, you know, we got to have something in common. You obviously, you did Seasons on the Black album. How did yeah. that come about? He was playing a festival in New York. He was doing Panorama Festival and I think he was playing right before us. It was like, just, I don't know, something like that. And he stayed and watched our show and he just sent some flame emojis on Twitter. <laughs> that was it. That was the right. beginning. Uh, that was the whole thing. And I then, I think my, fr I was, we, then we went, to, where did we go? Then we went to South America and I was hanging out with this guy, LJ, who's, he's an amazing, incredible bass player, but he was touring, he was with The Weeknd playing bass for him. And he was like, oh yeah, I know his, I, and the, basically the fire emojis like landed and I was like, oh shit, look at this. And he was like, oh shit, I know his manager. And he linked me with his manager um, and she linked me to him. And that was, that was the beginning. And then he was doing his album in LA and I was going back via LA and I went and just start. He had this big place rented out and it was crazy. I just went there. Okay. Played some stuff and it happened. So did you make that from scratch there with him or? No, I played him a couple little bits, a couple little nuggets, and he was like, send me that, send me that, send me that, send me that. And then I was like, cool, let me fix them all up first. I think, I don't remember what I played him of that beat. I think it might have just been like the chords. Right. And then I went away and I added the drums and stuff and sent it back over to him. Okay. And then he had someone add a few other, his other producers kind of, He's got his kind of core team over there who are incredible. There's like Singard and um, Jacob, I think. I don't remember who right. else yeah, was yeah, working yeah. on that. Okay. Yeah, but sick people, really incredible producers, and they they kind of have their hands all over all of it, you know, making it all tie together. Mm. And then did Khalid get added later? Yeah, I didn't. I yeah. didn't know that was happening. Right. <laughs> um, and that was just like whoa, sick. I remember hearing his voice on it for the first time it's just like wow dude can sing and those like gospel harmonies took it to another planet 
but it's one of those beats where like I'm glad I didn't I think a lot of the time I fall into this trap of trying to add too much mm. but it's just one of those beats where I left a lot of space and I think that was the appeal and that's what allowed you know Khalid has so much more space to work in in that scenario yeah basically that's what I recommend to anyone doing that kind of thing just leave space if if you if you're iffy about a part take it out just give like the element the raw core elements so creatively do you get something different out of doing that kind of work than doing it where you know that you're gonna have to sing on it or you're gonna have to write lyrics to it and things like that definitely yeah i find i find writing songs and stuff when you're not singing it's a lot easier right (laughs) i don't know why it's because you can be really personal and you're not singing so it's like you're removed (laughs) by a degree you can be really personal you can get really emotional and it's quite freeing in that way and quite often with production stuff you're trying to like realize someone else's vision like sometimes you're working with someone who doesn't quite know exactly how they want their record to sound but they have ideas they have references they have sounds they like and you're not you're not the person doing that filtering you can play a bunch of sounds to them and they can be like I like that one I don't like that one I like that one I don't like that one but when you're doing that to yourself you ah it's it's a tough thing to do <laughs> like yeah. you're like do I like that sound I don't know do I like the sound I it's it's really refreshing really quick to work with other people especially if they're like if they have if they know what they like yeah it's fun and do you find that the experience you've had going away and working with other people then feeds back into the work you do as glass animals so much i've learned so much from everybody i've worked with they don't even know it as well (laughs) i sheepishly thank them but like People have taught me so many things. Like Black, for instance, taught me so much about writing. Like he's so personal in his writing, and that made, that was what made me want to try that on this new album that I've been doing for the Glass Animals project. It's so much more. It's as per. It's super, super, super personal. It goes back to like my life in Texas, growing up as a kid, and yeah, growing up from that first memory until till now really yeah i've just been pulling from all those weird things that happen when you when you grow up it's like it's he basically opened my mind this huge bank of stuff that you can write about and it's so easy to write about thanks everybody (laughs) whereabouts in texas was it that you grew up oh it's a little shitty place no one will know it's called college station right brian college station it's like a there's like two little towns next to each other college station's a bit bigger there's a university there called texas a&m right yeah and the a&m stands for like agricultural and mechanical or something so it's like it's cows (laughs) but it's it's a great place to be a kid yeah there's loads of space you can run around there's nature things are cheap but then when you're a teenager you you get a bit stuck because everything's miles away and I was lucky enough at that point when I was 13 to move to England where you can like walk to a music venue. Yeah. You don't need to ask your mum to drive you. I just wondered when you mentioned the hip hop stations before whether there was any of the like local, you know, Houston rap and the Texas music has 
influenced you at all? Yeah, I, what was I? This? I was into like, where's Aesop Rock from? Is he from oh, Texas? He's from, is he from Aesop Rock's from New York, but I think lives in San Francisco. Yeah. Right. I don't. I got into like. I remember getting into that really early in Texas. Right. I don't know why. So the kind of independent like rap scene. I was into that, and I was like, basically, I I started listening to like the there were two, like two or three stations there. There was like a country music station, kind of rocky station, hip hop rap station. I just I like the bass, to be honest. Yeah. I love the sound. Well, I love that the way that music makes you feel, the way those drums make you feel, the way that bass makes you feel. I remember getting a boombox and like turning it up to max and turning the bass all the way up to to max, and just like being like, oh, you can. F- feel this shit you can feel that snare you can feel that kick you can feel that sub and so i gravitated toward that station and i think it was all the kind of like stuff that was on radio missy elliott everything you know snoop everything that like timberland and pharrell and the neptunes and dr dre made and produced and through that i think i got more into like the east rock and the mad villain matt i started i got obsessed with that mad villain record and the Doom stuff and Mandlib is like, no, God. Yeah, I ended up researching like what all those hip like Scott Storch and what, what all these people did and trying to like find YouTube videos of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember seeing that Jay-Z and Timbaland video in the studio. Have you seen that? The one from the Magna Carta album? No, it's, it well, it's Dirt Off Your Shoulder. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, Timbaland's, like, playing a bunch of beats. They're all, like, hits, yeah. like, pure hits. He yeah. plays, like, a Buster... I, f- I forget what beat it was. Like, Buster beat and then something else, and then he plays d- the Dirt Off Your Shoulder beat. And just, like, the reaction in the room is... Ah! And that, yeah. I was like, I want to do that. But did you first start making music when you, when you started to learn guitar? And yeah, that was, like, my first way in I got I guess it was quite late in the day I was like 16 right something my cousin I remember my cousin played guitar and he he bought me one I asked him if he could buy me one he bought me one since it's been stolen that guitar really annoyingly yeah but yeah that was my way in was guitar and then I got garage band yeah <laughs> on like a really really old hand-me-down laptop and it could only run like four tracks at a time. But I, I remember messing around with GarageBand and that guitar, just recording through the laptop's microphone. It was, yeah, it was like one of those really old white MacBooks. Right, Do you remember yeah, them? yeah, yeah. Plasticky kind of. <laughs> the plasticky ones. Yeah. ones. yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a piece of shit. It was terrible. And I remember the battery didn't work. Like it was so, the battery was spent. So I had, right. it was plugged you in. It was basically it in a desktop. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. I had one of those. Um, I was recording through the laptop mic. So that's how we made our first EP. Right. Was through the laptop mic. Um, everything like guitar recorded like that. Like it was super lo-fi. Um, and GarageBand was the way. Did like some of the first album in GarageBand. So what what would you say has been the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome so far in your career? There's a lot. I'm not naturally a very, like, confident person. I think I quite... I hated performing. Right. So much. I absolutely hated it for the first two years. I just couldn't. I freaked out. I would shake. 
so much before going on stage. I'd feel sick. I'd go pee like 10 times. And then um, I got, I don't know, eventually we went to South by Southwest and that was like the break point where we had eight shows in four days or something. Right. And I couldn't even think about being nervous. There was just too many shows to be nervous. I was nervous for the first one and then it was just like, let's get through this shit. And that just got rid of those nerves. And then we found a really amazing manager. That's a huge thing. I was really lucky. I hate the idea of like advertising something I've made. It really freaks me out. And I think that was a big thing, finding the band boys as well. That was the big thing. And that initial push that they gave me and that our, our manager, who's still our manager today, um, that push that they gave me to like put the music out on the internet and have the confidence in it was that's the that's the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Really lucky. So lucky that I found that. I know lots of people who are endlessly more talented <laughs> and able but maybe they haven't found the right person, the right team or something like that. It's, and as soon as I can, I'll do everything I can to help those people Yeah. if I, if I find them. Quite often I'm wrong. I've tried to help, <laughs> help those, you know, sometimes no one else likes the music that I like. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. Listen to it. Everyone, I play it on like every radio station that I do. I name drop them in every like interview like this. Just like, sometimes it's just for me. <laughs> What are you most proud of about what you've achieved so far? Uh, these are hard questions, man. These, <laughs> this is digging deep. Proud of a lot. We didn't start... A lot of people, I think, you know, they are very natural, charismatic people. And they know people in music and they find that we were... We had no idea what we were doing. And... I'm very proud of the fact that we haven't really changed how we do things. You know, it's still, it's the boys that I grew up with, like we've been friends since we were 12, and they're still the same people I'm doing this with. First ever tour manager, still tour managing us. First ever, like it feels like a family. I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that we've just stuck to our guns the whole time and been able to, because we have that core kind of family around us, we're allowed to lucky enough to make music that we just like. I think a lot of people are kind of pushed to do something or to work with a certain person. And I'm proud of that we've just kind of done it on our own terms. But Perfect. it's a lot of, a lot of luck. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say it. Perfect. And lastly, what does success look like to you? Success is being able to keep making music. Like I grew up, you know, my mum is like, an Israeli Jewish mother who wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> she, every every Jewish man wants their son to be like a doctor or a lawyer. And I never thought that doing making music was like a career option. So the goal, the goal for me, the dream and success is just being able to make make another album. That's it. We're about to do our third one now and if we can do a fourth one, that's the success. If it's right. good enough to make another one, that's when it's successful. Thank you for listening to Making Conversation with Grant Bryden featuring Dave Bailey. If you like this episode, then please be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. 
You can find Dave on socials at Glass Animals and listen to the quarantine covers on all streaming services. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden.